church family, but I wanted to make sure I pointed that out. Our new worship director, Dave Prentice, his wife, Pam, is here as well. A hiatus away from God for a while in Florida, but now back home. Thank you for coming home. This is Butler. This is home. This is where he's at. So we're delighted that he's here. He wasn't away from God. I'm just kidding. So don't put that on a blog anywhere. I'm so in trouble. We have a lot of fun here at Community Alliance Church. You saw that this morning in a video clip at the beginning. We deal with some really tough issues in life groups and have a lot of fun. So if you're interested in one of those, today's the last day when you walk out these doors to the left to sign up. Hopefully it's a way to get connected to people that you don't know, deal with an issue that you're really interested in, or just a way to be a part of a smaller body so that somehow in this large mass of people you get to have some really good life friends. And we encourage you to do that. Uh, Ten minutes after the service is over this morning is uh, family experience. Starts in September, finishes up in May. It gives you the life application of the month so that you as a family, kindergarten to fifth grade, you as a family can spend some time together, learn together, grow together, and be excited about what God's teaching your children so that you can connect that with what you're doing as a family. Thank you for being here last Sunday morning. I hope you enjoyed it. i got to believe you love John being here and the opportunity we had to share and to celebrate what God was doing. On Labor Day weekend, we had almost 1,100 people here between the two services. So thank you for being a part of it, for celebrating with it and with us. A lot of you were a part of the video. We had to pull it down so that we could know what we wanted to use on Sunday morning. So thank you for participating and doing that. Last Sunday morning's service was tight. I mean, there was a lot going on and a lot we had to, had to do. But there was a, an email that I'd received a couple of weeks before that that talked to us as a church, not directly about us, but talked to us as a church who've been around for a long time, and it really addresses those who really have been around forever in the context of a church. And when I read it, I wanted to read it to you, and I chose to do that today. So I hope you'll receive it. For those of you especially who've been longtime faithful members, who've seen the church change a lot, I want to say thank you. One of the best things I ever heard from a longtime church member is this. I don't understand a lot of what's happening anymore, but I do know this. The gospel is being preached. Young families are coming, and we're reaching out to our community, and that's good enough for me. And every time I think about that, I smile, and I say thank you. It's tough to be in a church for a long time when things start to change. Soon as a church that you love feels like it doesn't exist anymore, but you hung on. Because like my friend Eldon, you recognize that changes are surface. The methods and styles are different, but the gospel message is the same. So for every longtime church member who stayed and contributed, even while the church you've been attending has gone through a lot of changes that you may not always understand, this is my tribute to you. Thank you. Thank you for staying. Thank you for staying in a church whose music, clothes, liturgy, building, service order, preaching style, sanctuary, or something else has changed into something that you didn't know when you first started coming. Thank you for the heritage that you pass on to us and you give us the courage to try new things just to see if they'll work. Thank you for how much you pray for us. Thank you for reminding us that methods can change as long as the message doesn't. Thank you for keeping the ship steady when people like me want to rock the boat. Thank you for the times that you speak up, but instead of doing that, you've decided it's best to pray about it for now. Thank you for the times that you express your concerns in private so that you can stand with us in public. Thank you for forgiving us when we don't always get it right. Thanks for letting us reach higher because it's on your shoulders we're standing. 
Thank you for catching us when we fall. Thank you for doing all of this without getting anything close to the credit you deserve. For those and so many other blessings, no letter or sermon will ever be long enough to just simply say thank you. We could have never done it without you. So for those of you who have been a part of Community Alliance Church in a long time of its 110-year history, who've certainly seen it go through an enormous amount of changes, and yet you've stayed and you've prayed and you contributed and you loved and you supported from the depths of my soul. I lost a good friend of cancer this week, and um, the part of his funeral on fr- Thursday that I'm looking forward to, but it's uh, been an emotional couple days. You have sermon notes in your Bible, so I want you to take them out. If you have them in your Bible, I don't know how you did that. They're actually in your bulletin. <laughs> if you had them in your Bible, going, yeah, whatever, another sermon note, going tucked away somewhere until I lose it. Take it out. Gives you kind of the context of where we've been at and where we're going over the next few weeks. A couple of Sundays ago, I did something that I've never done before, and then I asked you, what would you like us to do? Stay in the context of Old Testament series or go into a New Testament, and two to one, you voted Old Testament. And so yesterday on a rainy day that I was honestly thankful for a rainy day because my grass is deader than a hammer. I love the fact that I haven't cut grass in a month, but I really enjoyed the rain. I sat down and kind of laid out some of the subjects and people that we're going to be dealing with for the next couple of months. And to be really honest with you, I'm unashamedly excited. I can't wait for some of the things we're going to share with you. I have a couple of questions in your sermon notes, more in my notes here this morning, but I want to ask you something along these lines. Did you ever sense that nudge of the Holy Spirit to share your faith in Christ with someone, but you didn't have the courage to follow through? Did you ever have that nudge in your spirit that you were supposed to tell them about spiritual things or your faith in Jesus, but you didn't have the courage to follow through? Maybe they're in your neighborhood. Maybe they're near your, uh, where you live. Maybe they're in your cubby or around your cubby where you work. Maybe they're in the, the next booth down or the next office down. And every once in a while, they'll come to you and say, what are you doing the weekend? What are you doing this weekend? Man, I'm going out and they'll tell you what they're doing. And And you felt like I should tell them what I'm doing or I should invite them to church because you heard John say last Sunday morning that most of them would come if you just asked them. But you didn't. Maybe they came to you and said, I just don't understand. I know what you're going through. I know what you've been through. And you seem like you're still having it all together. How do you do that? And yet you felt the words right there. You knew you were supposed to say something. You, you knew you, you wanted to tell them about your faith in Christ, but somehow it never came out. And you just simply said things like, well, we'll talk about it someday. How about someone in your life that you thought, oh, I'd share my faith with them, but I'm telling you, there's no way on God's green earth that they would want to have any spiritual conversations at all. I mean, I really would. I really would tell them about Jesus. I'd tell them what I do on Sunday. I'd tell them what difference Christ has made in my life. But I'm telling you right now, there's no way on the planet that they'd be interested in spiritual things. So I just don't. Anybody have anybody like that? How about this one? Is there someone that you have so much animosity toward That if they came to faith in Christ and you knew they were going to heaven, you're not sure if you wanted to go. (laughs) Whether it be ethnicity, whether it be whatever they've done, 
Max Lucado, I'm not sure even what book it was. I love his writings, but he writes a story about what happens when, in my spiritual journey, a criminal that I think gets and has gotten and needs to get what he deserves because of what he's done comes to faith in Christ, and I realize that I'm going to spend all eternity with him. I'm not sure if I want to stand beside him when it comes to seeing Jesus. He needs to get that. He deserves to get what he's getting. And now you're telling me he's a brother and sister in Christ? That nah, can't be. We're all NASCAR fans, at least, and I'm not y'all, but we are. My wife loves NASCAR, and Joe Gibbs has had an incredible influence on the people around him. And we think that one of them, who we really don't like and never want to see win, has come to faith in Christ. And every once in a while, I hear ourselves saying, he really is a brother in Jesus? Now i got to love him. Now, maybe that doesn't relate to you, and maybe you have no one in your life like that. But if any of those resonate with you, then you're going to connect with our character this morning, Jonah. Maybe there is somebody in your life that you know you ought to share your faith in Christ with, but you've just not had the courage to do it. Maybe you really want to, and you know they wouldn't be interested in spiritual things. Or maybe, to be honest, you don't want them in the kingdom because they need to get what they are dealing with, and they deserve that punishment. Jonah, then, is a character that you're going to at least connect with in some way or the other. He's one of the Old Testament contemporary lessons that we want to learn from, and I think there's a lot that we can learn from this man. Now, yesterday, a phone tree, I said to you, we're only going to deal with chapter 1 and 3, and I hope you took the time to read the whole book because there's some powerful lessons in it that God wants to teach us. I love children. You know my wife's a children's pastor. You know how much we love kids and, and what they are involved in and what they say and how unbelievably honest they are. They, just so you know, they tell us everything about your life and everything about your home. One of the reasons we love being around kids are so straight up and so honest. One of them said, how do you like the story of Jonah and the whale? And one little boy said, well, I've learned this, that people make whales sick. <laughs> I've got a mom who's sitting in our audience on a Sunday morning who has one of the most priceless young boys that I've ever been around who every so often will send me a great story about either what he has said or what he's dealing with or how he observes life. And a few weeks ago, I won't tell you who she is, but a few weeks ago they had a major event in their life and they said, hey, you know, today we, we, we won't get to church, you won't get to Sunday school because of all this going on in our life. And he looked at him and said, well, maybe you won't, but I'm going. Because <laughs> we're right in the middle of a good video series in the children's department and I want to be there. I thought, what a great son. Some great lessons in this book this morning that I want to share with you. They're in your sermon notes this morning. On how to respond when God speaks on the character of God and his love for humanity. One of the things that you'll notice as you read the scriptures is God's incredible love for all of humanity. You and I may not see that. You and I may not even think that. But one of the things you have to understand is God's unbelievable love for the lost of the world, for everyone on this earth. One of the last things Peter, the author, heard Jesus say when he asked, how long am I going to be here and when are you going to return? Jesus said to him, what is it to you if I keep John here until I return? So Peter had assumed that Jesus was coming back pretty quick. And so they shared stories about the return of Christ and then it wasn't coming. So now when Peter has the opportunity to write his book, he, he looks back on that and remembers what Jesus said and can't figure out why he's not returning and he hears that all over the place. And, and then he writes these words, look, just so you know, 
God is coming back. He's not slow in keeping his promise. The reason he hasn't returned is that he has a huge desire that no one perish, but all come to faith in Christ. You and I don't always have that kind of love for lost humanity and maybe for the people of the world. But the God of the universe loves this world. And his greatest desire is that everyone come to faith in Christ. One of the reasons the CNMA started that you and I are a part of is because A.B. Simpson gathering people in New York City found that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds are coming from other places. And so he went down to the docks and began to lead them to faith in Christ. And hundreds of them were accepting Jesus as Savior. They had not heard the gospel. They hadn't heard it for years. The gospel had somehow left Europe. And now they're coming to the United States. And they're hearing this, many of them, for the very first time. And they came to faith in Christ. And Simpson invited them to their church only to find out they weren't welcome. Hunkies like me weren't welcome in a church that had people who had been here since Jesus left, obviously. And he said, this can't be. He recognizes, he read scripture, that God had a passion for all of humanity to come to faith in Christ. And so he began what you and I are a part of, the Christian Missionary Alliance, to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Many of them still to this day who haven't heard of faith in Jesus. John shared a story last Sunday of the lady who walked into a Bible study in a Muslim context who had heard the missionary say in her language that Jesus forgives all of our sins. And she said, I don't want to interrupt you, but you certainly have not mastered our language because you have just said that the God that you share and the Jesus you love forgives all of our sins. And he said, I was right. He said, it can't be. I've never heard that. The God that you and I just sang about this morning, the God that we love and adore, the God that we sing and celebrate, loves all of humanity and wants every single one of them to be found. And one of the things you'll see all the way through Scripture, and specifically in this context here in Jonah this morning, that he doesn't want any of them to perish. The lesson we're going to deal with this morning is that God would rather reward obedience than punish disobedience. With Jonah and the people of Nineveh, It's a great story of God's love and mercy. The lesson that we're going to concentrate on this morning is that when God speaks to us or when he deals in our lives, when he tells us what he wants us to do, he has a purpose for that. And we either obey him and enjoy the blessings of obedience or we disobey him, do our own thing, and your sermon notes pay the price. Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Armani. Going to the, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because the wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away, ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Went down to Joppa where he found a sit bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And the Lord sent a great wind into the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and cried out to his own God. They threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship, but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we won't perish. Then the sailors said to one another, come and let's cast lots and find out who's responsible for this calamity. And cast lots and they fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where is your country? What are your people? From what people are you? He answered and said, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, 
God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because they'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me to the sea, Jonah replied, and it will become calm. I know it's my fault. This great storm has come upon you. And instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they couldn't, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you please. And they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, men greatly feared the Lord. They offered a sacrifice to him and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah in his day is a pretty popular character. He's a chaplain in Jeroboam II's court, who was one of the best kings of the Jewish people since Solomon. Was in the highest courts, greatly respected by anyone. He would have been the Billy Graham of his day. Now God comes to this great preacher and asks him to do something that not only does Jonah not want to do, but it's contrary to the Jewish culture. They grew up in a very narrow environment, grew up thinking that not only were the Jewish people the chosen people, they were thinking they were the only people of God. I don't know if you've ever been around Christians or a church that makes you feel every once in a while like they're the only ones that have a corner on God. They're the only ones that have it right, that do it right. I've known a lot of churches that will criticize large churches saying you must be doing something to water down the gospel to attract that many people. There's a lot of reasons, and they come across sometimes like they're the only ones who have it right, and they're the only ones who have a corner on God, and they're the only ones that are hearing him speak. It's exactly what Jonah's dealing with. That's exactly the environment that he grew up in. He recognized and felt that everybody outside that were heathens and God could care less about them. He'd grown up all of his life not liking the Assyrians who now he's being asked to go to. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Couldn't imagine any way that they would be loved by God. Time after time, they had come in conflict with the Jewish people. Now all of a sudden, God says, I want you to go and minister to them. It would be like the God of the universe coming to someone in Israel saying, I want you to share your faith in Christ, who are a Messianic Jew, who knew who Jesus was and knew him as Savior. I want you to take the gospel that has changed your life to the people of Iran. A few weeks ago when we were sharing the story of Joseph, and I remember in one of the contexts, or maybe it was one of the ones before that, when I shared the story with you of the mother's of the 21 Egyptian men who were killed by ISIS in Egypt, whose biggest concern was not that they paid the price for what they did to their sons, but that they would find Jesus. And I found that so counter-culture to what you and I would feel when we read the stories every day. And their biggest concern with those who took their sons' lives would find Jesus. The opposite of that would be the context that Jonah grew up in. He's going to have to debate, do I do the will of God and enjoy his favor or do I enjoy the respect of men? Now, this popular preacher has been asked by God to deal and speak and preach to unpopular people. He has to weigh the call of God on one side and traditions and customs of his people on the other side. You see, none of us have a difficult time obeying God when he asks us to do what we want to do. You ever notice that? We don't have a hard time obeying God when he asks us to do what we want to do. It's when God asks us to do things that are 
counterintuitive or against our nature or we don't feel comfortable doing or we just rather not do. Jonah wasn't prepared to do this because he didn't think that God loved these people. And to be really honest, he didn't either. Our actions when things go well are not as significant as our reactions when things don't go the way we think. So Jonah decided to go to a foreign place, Tarshish. Why? Because the Jewish people believe that God didn't speak to anyone in foreign lands. So if he wanted to not hear the voice of God, go as far away as he could from hearing the voice of God. Somewhere along the way, he forgot Psalm 139 when David said, Where can I go, God, that you're not there? Rise up in the morning, there you are. When I lie down at night, there you are. If I went to the depths of the sea, you're right there. If I went to hell itself, God, you would come and rescue me. This morning, what I want to do in your sermon notes, a couple more that aren't there this morning, I just want to give you some travel tips. If you decide that you're going to take a trip outside the will of God, I, I want you to know what to expect. I want you to know what to entail. I want you to know what's going to happen so that you won't be surprised when it does. And number one, arrangements for the wrong direction or wrong destination can easily be made. It's easy to go the wrong way. It's easy to go the wrong direction. Sometimes, if you're really honest, it's hard to follow Christ and be everything that he's designed you to be. It's hard sometimes to live the Christian life he's called you to. Sometimes it's easy to go the wrong direction and make our own choices and do our own thing. In his case, it was very easy to go the wrong way. It was easy to find a ship that was going another direction. In the matter of the will of God, some will say, well, this must have been God's will. Everything fell into place. And many times that's true, but not always. Well, maybe I'm out of God's will because things aren't going well. Not necessarily so. Everything lining up, all the doors opening up, all the things falling into place aren't necessarily the evidence of God's perfect will for your life. Or when things go wrong, it doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. The best determination of understanding whether I'm in and out of the will of God is the peace deep down in my soul. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule your heart. It's not always whether things go well or everything lines up or whether there's uncertainty in life. It's the peace of Christ. Problems or lack of problems don't always have as much to do with the will of God as peace down in your soul. Secondly, it costs more to go second class because God's way is always first class. When we go our own way, it always costs us a lot more. He went down to Joppa. He paid the price. When you and I decide to do our own thing, we put ourselves at risk. When I obey God, I'm in the center of his hands and the center of his will. He's responsible for me. So that's why I can take chances Risk, risk, because I know if I'm in the center of God's will, I'm immortal till he calls me home. Doesn't mean I go 90 and 100 miles an hour. Doesn't mean I jump out of something just to see if God protects me. He tested, Jesus was tested with Satan and Matthew. It's not about that. It's just simply if I am absolutely convinced that I'm doing the will of God and I'm in the center of God's hand, I'm immortal till he takes me home. That's a great place to be, to know that I have the peace of God in my heart. I know I'm following him. I know I'm in the center of his will. And when things go bad, I just look to him and say, things aren't going well, Father. What are you going to do? Corey Ten Boone, in a book called When God Changes His Mind, which is a great, powerful book written by Brother Andrew, tells a little bit, or he tells a little bit of her story. You know the story from The Hiding Place, how she was... <coughs> captured and killed by the Nazis, lost most of her family, went through the prison internment, came out, forgave and offered grace and forgiveness in Jesus to those who did so many devastating things to her people. She then began to minister all over the world. 
He writes the story of her every once in a while in really difficult circumstances, opening up her Bible, holding it up to heaven and say, hey, God, you wrote this. What are you going to do about it? God, you promised this. Are you going to come through or not? God, this is what you said in your word. What are you going to do? I know I'm in the center of your will. I absolutely trust you. Things around me don't look good, but you promised this. So what are you going to do about what you've already said? When you're in the center of God's will, it's the safest place you can be. The most dangerous place in life is when you decide to do your own thing and walk your own path. Number three, you really can't get away from it all. No matter what the vacation brochures say, you really can't. Psalm 139 is a classic example of that. Jonah is going to find that no place where he goes, God hasn't been. He needed to quit running from God and start relying on him. I wrote this in my notes a couple of weeks ago, and when I did that, I just felt like it was one of those things that God wanted me to say to a few of you this morning, and this is this. If you have a family member who's running away from God or is walking away from God, don't give If you have a family member who's running away from God, a child, a sibling, a parent, if you have a family member who's running away from God or has turned their back on God or is not interested in godly things, do not give up because there's no place they can go where God isn't interested in rescuing them. Mim Abraham is one of my favorite stories. My wife, years ago when we started ministry, we were in Beaverdale, Pennsylvania, and she started working as a booking agent for Abraham and the Watchman Band. They were one of the early rock and roll. Seriously? How in the world did you find that? <laughs> one of the early Christian rock and roll bands, and we brought him into our camps and churches and all that stuff. Mim Abraham, the one on the right, prayed for her husband, Hub, for 29 years. These guys all came to faith. She raised three boys who loved Jesus, really committed to Christ. They wanted to do everything they could to take the gospel of Jesus all over the area, and they did. And for 29 years, she every single day of her life prayed faithfully that Hub would come to faith in Christ. And after 29 years of praying, thinking, and most of us would have given up, he came to faith in Christ, embraced Jesus as a Savior, passionately followed him, and then shortly after that went home to see Jesus. If you've got a family member who's running away from God, I'm just here to say that this morning, do not give up. Keep praying. Number four, your baggage may not arrive at your destination. Now, if you fly, you're already aware of that. When you go the wrong way, you may lose some things that are precious to you. In verse 5, all the sailors were afraid and cried out to their own God, and they began to throw the cargo in the sea. And the point of that little piece there to me is this. When we're in this process of God trying to help us follow him, no matter what that's going to be and no matter what that's going to look like, we find ourselves in a context of rearranging our priorities and realizing after a while the things that really are important and the things that aren't. Having the biggest house or the biggest wedding or the biggest whatever isn't really that significant. Now, I know those of you who are in business, your company tells you every single day, you have to be number one. We are out to be number one. I'm okay with number six. I know you get a lot of pressure from that, and I know that certainly is put on them from corporate. But sometimes when you really look at life in the grand scheme of things, we find that God will put us in moments where we really have to decide what really is important and what isn't. In this case, they just started throwing stuff overboard 
But every once in a while in this journey of life, when you find yourself wrestling with what God has for you and what God wants you to do, you're also going to find yourself in a position of rearranging your priorities and making some hard decisions about what really is important and what honestly doesn't matter. In verse in number five, verse six, your rest will be disturbed. Captain went down. If God can't get your attention, if you're going the wrong way, sometimes you'll send somebody else in your path. One of the things that we always have to be aware of, that God many times speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through people, or through uh, his spirit. But many times he speaks to us through people. And many times he'll bring someone into your life to get your attention I have found that in, in raising my children and helping others and in raising their children, no matter what you say as a parent, sometimes that not getting through every once in a while in an unbelievable way, God will use somebody else in their life or somebody else in your life to speak what you've always wanted to say or what you've been saying till all of a sudden they say, oh my goodness. So have them or make sure that you have other people in their life that can be involved and helping them through the process. Number six, you'll get personal attention. Bad decisions don't just affect you. Number seven, you have to show your passport. In his case, he said, who really are you? You're going to have to take a stand. You're going to have to make sure that you declare your allegiance to God or not at some point in your journey, because I'm telling you, he will put you in a position where you will have to say, I cannot do this. I'm a follower of Christ. Concluding thoughts. If you're going through some deep moments and you feel like the hand of God is kind of heavy on you and there are some things in your life he's trying to rearrange or some priorities he wants to rearrange in your life, as, as frustrating as it may be at the moment, let me just simply say this. Be aware of the fact that God hasn't given up on you and delight in that. Recognize that I am special. God loves me. God cares about me. He hasn't given up on me and he wants to spend some time with me. Secondly, obeying God, obey God, even if you don't always understand the ins and outs of the, what he's calling you to do. But you know in your heart, deep down in your soul, he's asking you to do this, even if it may not make sense, and you don't think they'll be interested in spiritual things. Follow him in obedience. God will not allow you, number three, to disobey him without letting you know his spirit will come after you, and he will try to find you wherever you're at. If you're in the wrong place, the right place stands empty, waiting for you to fill it. If you're in the wrong place, maybe that wrong place is just simply sitting idle on a Sunday morning when there are so many needs and so many opportunities to serve, but you have not gotten involved. If you're sitting in that place of non-service, I'm telling you, there are places all over this campus and around this globe that are waiting to be filled, but won't be unless you're willing to step in and do it. And finally, the fifth one, which is really the, the sum of the book, and that is that lost people matter to God, and he wants them found, and he asks you and I to help him find them. Chapter 3 is a powerful story of the entire city of Nineveh falling on their knees before Almighty God. The people, the group, who so rebellious against God spitting in God's face, come and hear the gospel of Jesus, or at least what God offers them at that moment in life, and all of them come to faith in Christ. The people that you would have never expected to come to God are the ones who fell down before him when somebody shared their story, a reluctant one in this case, but shared what he knew God wanted him to do, and the entire city 
comes to Jesus. I got to believe that all of us in this room have somebody in our, our life that doesn't know Christ. Somebody in your sphere of influence that if you did share with them, may, as John said last Sunday morning, come. They may be interested in spiritual things. You don't think that. You may not know it. You want to share, but you haven't. And so as we sing this final song, which is a rendition of what we did before, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I'd love for you to think, is there someone, God, in my life that in these next few weeks you want me to share with? Someone I've never would have had a conversation with before. Someone, to be honest with you, I really don't like. But I sense you're leading. Maybe there's a nation you can start praying for. John said last Sunday morning, there are hundreds of people around this globe who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you've never prayed for the lost of the world. Maybe for your neighbor, it's awesome, but never for the lost of the world. And maybe that's the thing that God's asking you to do. Maybe you've never, ever supported the cause of Christ in missions. And today is a day of saying, you know what? I've got to rearrange my priorities, my financial priorities. I've never contributed to serving, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth through the Great Commission Fund. I see it on the envelope all the time. I see it in the online giving, but I've never done that. And maybe that's one way of God saying, you know what? I want you to rewind your priorities a little bit. Instead of doing this or getting that or purchasing that, I'd love for you to support what God is doing around the globe in missions. And maybe that's what he's asking you to do. So in 30 seconds before we sing this song, I'd ask you just to imagine in your mind what one thing is he asking me to do based on this story this morning. I want to be obedient to that. I don't want to ignore his leading. I want to follow it. And maybe that one person you never thought would come to faith in Jesus, whose entire life may be turned around because of your willingness to take that risk.